Now I have your number. Thanks. Hey, I'm Robbie Kramer. You're listening to the Leverage Podcast, where we discuss using your social skills to hack dating, travel, finding your dream job, and becoming a complete man. I can give you guys my like five minute synopsis because all I've been doing is reading, <laughs> watching YouTube, uh, getting like the the stuff straight from the battle lines and from, you know, people I know and watching podcasts. So I've been spending, you know, a good two or three hours a day consuming the material and, and even watching old videos on why this shit started and the history of NATO and the history of Ukraine and blah, blah, blah. So I feel like I have a pretty good perspective on it. Um, so basically in 2008, there was a Bucharest convention, Budapest or Bucharest. I can't remember which one. Um, both those Bucharest. cities. Equally, Bucharest, right. Yeah, Bucharest. Um, spent a lot of time in both those cities trying to pick up girls. They're both pretty equal. Not, not as good as Kiev, but not bad. But anyway, so it was Bucharest 2008. Um, the Kremlin or Putin said, if Georgia or Ukraine ever try to become a part of NATO, that will essentially result in war. Uh, you know, he said it. And, and then in 2008, he went into Georgia, fucked up the country, um, you know, did the same thing where he kind of like, annexed two portions of it uh, one was called south alepia uh, south asepia or alepia no south south whatever Ossetia, south asedia and the other south one was Odessa, Ossetia, or something like that south i tried Ossetia. to go to the shit hole yeah they didn't allow me yeah i know and he did the same thing in ukraine with in the donbass with the lugansk and donetsk those two regions um, and he did that. He, he created these sort of separatist uh, places because there's a rule with NATO saying that if there is a active conflict zone in the country, you can't get into NATO. So people were a little worried he was going to also invade Ukraine in 2008, but it just never happened. And then as the years went by, the country just became more and more westernized. Uh, obviously, the U.S. was pushing that, of course, as they always do. Right. The U.S. basically just looks for ways that they can get involved around the world to, you know, push, push regi regimes out and install friendly Western institutions. And that's kind of like what, what the West always looks to do. And, and us is for foreign policy as a whole. Um, in 2014, May happened. Uh, May Dawn is like the biggest square in, in Kiev where both Nick and I live. Um, Anyone who's come to visit is right at the end of Krishatic, which obviously Chris and Andreas have been to many times. Um, and what happened in 2014 in Maidan is they had what's called the Orange Revolution, where some students were like protesting peacefully. Um, the puppet leader of the, he was basically a puppet to Putin leading Ukraine. Uh, Yanukovych was his name. He, a, a couple, they brutally, I think they killed a couple students in like a peaceful rally. So, you know, a million people came out to Maidan and called for Yanukovych's like ousting. So he fled to Russia. Um, then they had elections and Poroshenko 
took over. He was kind of in power for about five years. He lost the election to Zelensky in a landslide. And basically throughout that time, you know, that's when I was in Ukraine. And I just, you know, uh, starting from like 2000, I went for the first time in 2015. I was in Odessa. And then I went back 2016, um, Odessa, Kiev. And then starting in 2018, I kind of like went all over to Kharkiv and places in the east. And I, and I kind of always noticed that the country seemed to be going like more and more in the Western direction, a little bit less corrupt. I noticed that big time with my dealings with the police getting pulled over. When I first got pulled over in Ukraine in like 2018, I got pulled over like five times in a period of two weeks and just paid 20 bucks to each like crooked cop. Um, <laughs> and then this year, I've also been pulled over about five times and didn't even try to bribe them for fear of being like arrested. Um, and, you know, the, the, the systems in Ukraine for like every, every, their whole, their whole system of what's it called? Like passports, driver's license, everything's through this app called the, the DIA app. It's this black one. If you guys can see it right there, okay. sorry, it's kind of blurry, but if you yeah. click on DIA and you open this up, it's got, it's pretty advanced. It's got like your COVID certificate, which obviously I don't have because it's American. Then it has my car registration. It would have my passport. And this is accepted everywhere. You don't even need to carry around paper documents in Ukraine. Um, so like, you know, they, they're, they've, and I say that because they've really been advancing. And, um, you know, Zelensky was basically like, we're, we're ready to join NATO. Let us in. Um, Putin didn't want that. And not just because he's afraid of NATO or those security concerns. I think the bigger factor that I saw from one of those videos that was posted is the reason why, Oh, sorry, back to the sort of the history stuff. And so in 2014, when the, when the orange revolution Maidan happened, Putin saw his chance to annex Crimea because really he wanted Crimea for natural gas surrounding Crimea and the black sea is just a shitload of natural gas reserves and whoever controls Crimea controls that natural gas and it's worth billions and trillions or whatever of dollars. And he didn't want Ukraine to have it. Um, and I think, his, and so I think the, the, his greed and his like interest in resources trumps his fear of NATO. Um, obviously that's a, that's a part of it. And, and depending on how crazy, and obsessed with sort of the old Soviet times and him being a KGB agent and all that stuff. It's, it's hard to say which is a bigger, which is more important for him. Is, is it the, the resources or is it the, the fear of NATO? Um, but regardless, he, you know, he said he was going to start a war. He did start a war and he's used the exact same tactics in this war that he's used in Syria, that he's used in Georgia, that he's used in Afghanistan, which is, you know, pretend like you're not going to hit civilian uh, infrastructure and, and maybe do that for a day or two and then just bomb the fuck out of the country, hit all the civilians that he can't, that he can basically uh, until they just give up. But what he wasn't expecting was the resistance from the Ukrainians. He thought he would at least get maybe like, you know, five to 10% of the, of the Ukrainians to want to side with the Russians because they speak Russian versus Ukrainian and so on and so forth. But 
He wasn't expecting everyone to rally around Zelensky as hard as they have. He wasn't expecting basically everyone in the country to say, I'd rather die than live under this fucked up Putin regime. And I don't think he, I, I in, in the last year, just living in Ukraine, I never really heard Putin's name before that very often, but in the last year, because of all the tension in Belarus and all the uprisings there, because of all the shit that went down within Russia with him poisoning Alexander Navalny and him trying to oust all of his opposition, people really woke up to his corruption and the fact that he's just a humongous piece of shit. And he thought he could just come into Ukraine and people would be like, oh, yeah, we don't mind Russia. We'll go with them. But they're like, no, I don't want to live under this fucking psychopath dictator. I'd rather die. And that's why the Ukrainians have put up such an amazing fight, because literally every single person, for the most part, will walk out like into the street and just stop tanks from coming in. You know, you, you, you see this uh, in almost all these little villages, all these little cities I'd never even heard of. You know, population, maybe 50,000, 25,000, but everyone just comes out and they just stand in the road. And then you've got these Russian troops who are 18, 19 year old fucking redneck idiots from God knows where in the middle of shithole Russia who are not very well prepared, not trained, um, have no real desire to carry out Putin's orders, but are <coughs> basically under this mafia like regime like the way that russia operates is basically like he's the big mafia boss everyone underneath him gets paid and it's just a structure where no one's really loyal to him they're just scared of him and they want to get paid and that's just you know a, a giant pyramid starting from the top hey robbie and, can i ask uh, a question yeah like do you know why they only send like shitty 19 year old soldiers i wondered about that um I mean, they, they obviously have a lot of other decent soldiers. They've got their fighter pilots and so on and so forth. But the first wave, you know, that they sent in, um, or at least the idiots that got captured were probably, the, you know, the more like the grunt foot soldiers, right? You send in the, the people you want to, you don't mind losing first. Um, and, uh, you know, at first, a lot of the soldiers were saying, oh, we didn't know where we were. We thought we were on training. But I think that's total bullshit. They all signed papers saying we're going into, you know, Ukraine. We know where we're going. We know what we're doing. I just think the morale is so low amongst those troops that that's why they're doing such a horrible job, right? Like they have no, they have no uh, emotional reason to give a shit other than, you know, if I don't do this, I'm going to get in big trouble and potentially sit in prison from my country and, Everyone in Russia is just scared of the regime. You know, you yeah. see people coming out to protest, which is very heroic because they're going to sit in jail for 15 days. They're going to have heavy sort of sentences against them and that will fuck them up getting jobs and credit and so on and so forth. But the, the Russian regime, it's like North Korea. Um, it's quickly going in that direction. Like if you speak out against the government, like he's censored all media, every single ounce of you know, truth telling is now gone in the media. It's just pure propaganda saying, uh, you know, Ukraine's a bunch of Nazis. Yeah, uh, I, saw, I saw a video yesterday that it was going over, like, <clears throat> it had all, like, the most popular Russian, like, social media influencers. And there was the video, like, had each person, like, they were overlapping all these different influencers. And it was like they were 
talking off of a script. Like it was just total propaganda that the government gave them. All the top influencers are like talking oh, yeah. about like, why we're why they invaded Ukraine and why they need to and they're they're fighting for their homeland and this and that. Like th- they're all on the payroll. Propaganda. Yeah, there's a lot of propaganda going around. It was the same exact sort of um, campaign that the U.S. did to its citizens to get us to go into Iraq mm-hmm. um, after, you know, after September 11th, right? Yep. We knew Saddam didn't have weapons of mass destruction. Everyone mm-hmm. fucking knew that, but they had to convince us that, you know, he was a threat and he was dangerous. So they, they did an uh, entire <laughs> smear campaign um, to the U.S. population and... You know, we need we need to find the people responsible for this. We need to go in. We need to take out that regime. And it was a, a giant fucking foobar. And, um, you know, and, and it was interesting. I watched this video on why politicians lie. And they actually said that there, there's a few different types of lying. I can post it in the discord. But it was he said more often than not in democratic countries, politicians lie way more to their own people than they lie to other international leaders. Um, And they lie to gain support for causes that usually don't make sense or that, you know, that can't stand on their own. Same thing as, as when the U S invaded, you know, started the Vietnam war, we, we use the Gulf of Tonkin and manufactured a fake incident. Um, You know, we shot at our own ship and said the Vietnamese did it, which gave us a reason to go in and then, essentially, you know, fucking like what we did in Vietnam, what the Americans did in Vietnam is, you know, from, you know, I was in Vietnam and I went to the thing, we, we gassed them, but like, it was, it's horrible, like Nazi shit that the U.S. did in Vietnam. So U.S. is, you know, I'm not saying like, obviously Russia's and Putin is evil and piece of shit. Um, and the U.S. has done some fucking evil shit too and horrible shit. It's just who's ever on the better side of history kind of gets to write it in their favor. And, yeah. and you just kind of forgive, you know, the U S at the time. Cause it's like, well, what are you going to do? Who's going <laughs> to, you know, who's going to overthrow them or what's going to happen. But it's, um, you know, that's, that's, I guess the best way to sum it up. I don't think Putin has the ability to win, even if he, you know, so right now what they're trying to do is, they're trying to surround Kiev, Kharkiv, and Odessa, um, and they're they're basically bringing around troops from all sides to kind of pinch these cities off, and then kind of try to starve them out, like what they're doing in Mariupol in the south. They're not letting refugees out. There's no power. There's no water. There's no food, and you know I don't know what the fuck's going to happen to all those poor people. There's like two hundred thousand people there. They're trying to get out that they said we would allow them out. We'd, we'd have a ceasefire for them. And then every time the buses come in to take people out, they start bombing different areas and making it unsafe for people to leave. So I'm guessing that's going to be their strategy if they can surround Kiev and Kharkiv and Odessa. But they're not they haven't been able to do that. They haven't been able to get around the Ukrainian forces in any of those regions. They've got like something between a 17. Some sources say it's a 17 mile long convoy north of Kiev. Some sources say it's a 40 mile long convoy, but it's been stalled there. They're having huge supply chain issues trying to, you know, get fuel, food, water to their troops and the morale is low and they're just not really making much of a headway anywhere. 
And um, seems like Putin's furious about it. And the longer the war drags out, the better it is for the Ukrainians. And the more likely they'll be able to just to, to you know, not even let some of these bigger cities fall. Um, so that's what I'm, you know, really hoping for is, you know, they, they say he's got he's deployed 90 between 80 and 90 percent of his troops. Um, right now, they're actually they're they've got like military equipment coming from the other side of Russia next to Japan on trains, which is going to take like at least eight to 12 days to get here. That's how desperate they are. They're, they're trying to get military equipment from the other fucking side of the continent to bring it because they're, they're out of shit. Um, they're out of cruise missiles. They still have, uh, I think they're called Iskander missiles um, left. And what I'm just, what I'm the most surprised about is I know the Russian military has a lot of aircraft and Ukrainian forces have shot down about, you know, somewhere between like 25 jets and 25 helicopters, but they have hundreds and hundreds of, of, you know, fighter, fighter jets and why they haven't just, you know, unloaded on the cities with those fighter jets is kind of a mystery to most of the higher up um, military people on on YouTube and those sort of those, those sort of people that I've been watching. Everyone's like, I, we don't understand why they haven't done that. Um, I'm really glad they haven't and just leveled that. the city with bombs, basically. Just yeah, just try to send you know just they haven't been able to uh, to to secure like the, the airspace over Ukraine and Ukraine only has like 45 aircraft or something ridiculous like that. You know, um, Russia's got hundreds and w- they haven't been able to, to have like control of the skies. And that's why Ukraine is fighting so hard for NATO or other countries to step up and, you know, uh, close the skies Obviously, all the other countries are scared that if they do that, it'll start World War III and a nuclear attack, which I don't think it would. Um, but everyone's too much of a pussy to, to do it. Um, and, you know, it's why they haven't done that at this point. There's no reason why they haven't. Maybe they just can't or it's I don't know. It's weird. I, I'm just yeah. worried that Putin's got one fuck like some fucked up shit still up his, his sleeve that he hasn't done yet, which is. I don't know. I've heard different conflicting reports like taking a nuclear power plant hostage or who knows, maybe there's like a blitzkrieg coming um, because they've been pretty idle for the last couple of days. Um, but even if he does all that, you've got 44 million Ukrainians who are dead set on him dying and who hate Russia with a passion. So even if he does take out these cities, kill Zelensky, if he kills Zelensky, they were saying that would almost be horrible for Putin because you're going to turn him into a martyr and it'll just make the people fight more. So he, this, this war is completely unwinnable for Putin. There is no outcome that is favorable for him at this point because he will never be able to control the people in Ukraine. Um, they will, you know, fight him in any puppet regime that's installed to the death. So um, most, most of the officials think he's just kind of, lost his mind mainly at this point i mean putin's a pretty like up until now he's been a very strategic um 
sort of politician. Um, you know, he's, he's, he, 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 like they, they say he's always been of like normal sound mind, but now they're starting to question that because he keeps continuing this and, and doing it in a kind of a useless way. Um, and they say because he's just kind of cut off from anyone with any sense, he's, uh, you know, doing what he's doing. So that's, <laughs> I saw that one video of his one, I don't know, secret service director, basically like having an opinion <laughs> and Putin oh, was yeah. just like, and Putin was just like, so you think this? And he's like, uh, yeah yeah i i think that maybe you know is why don't you just say it yeah yeah yeah, that's what he was saying right say it yeah i mean did you guys see that video where the western um it was like a african-american woman reporter uh at the g7 summit and and she straight up asked him she's like why are all your political opponents either dead imprisoned or poisoned and he, he answered the question with like a three minute rant on something totally unrelated, like why America needs to crack down on the, you know, Black Lives Matter riot. And then she asked him again, <laughs> you didn't answer anything. Why are all your opponents poisoned in jail or dead? And then he had another five minute answer on something relating to America. And he didn't even deny that any of his opponents like he basically like, yeah, I you know, I poisoned them. I, I killed them. I imprisoned them for nothing. Um, you know, he just, he's a mob boss and the country is completely, you know, under his thumb and it's really up to Russians to do something about it. But all they give a fuck about for the most part is trying to get the last Ikea furniture before the store close. <laughs> my, uh, my girlfriend who is Russian works for Ikea. So she, she has really? the inside. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, um, I just yeah, well, went uh, to like, Sweden, and the first thing I saw was a backpack with IKEA on it, and I put it on my Instagram. And my Russian friend sent me like, "Oh, this makes me sad because I can no longer get it in Russia." I was like, "Fuck, sorry." <laughs> uh, actually, the people in Russia they are really fed up to with uh, with Putin. Like everybody who's educated from Moscow wants to to kill the guy. The problem is that he he keeps this fake news machine going on, very effective. And and then you have the rednecks of Russia who still believe uh, the whole all the bullshit he tells. Also, it's like we saw the same thing in the U.S., same thing in the in Brazil, but in Russia it's very powerful because you don't have access to any other thing that is not uh, Russian-controlled media. So it's really fucked up. Yeah, yeah, it's just co- totally just a, a giant web of lies there, and. And it's tough because people, even if they want to, you know, do something about it, the way that the, it, it's a police state at this point, you know, there, I, <laughs> I don't know how they have so many like riot police. It's like everyone in Russia is a, a riot policeman. <laughs> yeah. Like you know? in the past, everybody was KGB. You know? like, yeah. If you so, go to Tiraspol, it's like that. You, you like to you take your phone and you take a picture of the train station. Somebody comes and that tells you to erase the picture because it's a strategic building. You're not supposed to do that. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the last thing that I thought found interesting was, you know, they, they say there's no way for Putin to win, even if he does manage to overthrow the, the government in Ukraine and, 
you know, dismantle the military, he still loses. And he loses on the world stage because he's now an international pariah and Russia is a pariah state. Like Russia as a country has been canceled effectively. And, um, <laughs> and with him leading it, there is like, it's going to be a completely isolated pariah state. Um, and yeah, the, the people who are talking about it, they're like, we've never been in a world where, you know, we have a pariah state that's this powerful that controls the most nuclear warheads in the world. Um, so who knows <laughs> what could happen. Um, but that will likely be the outcome regardless of, you know, what happens in Ukraine. Um, and then it's really up to the Russian people if they can get rid of Putin uh, or not and how long he can last in there. So. Uh, I was going to say that I got mixed information about this. Uh, on one hand, uh, this is the information that I got that you're saying, Robbie, that's... Uh, it's unwinnable for Putin and it's not going very well because Ukrainians are opposing really strongly and, and all that. But on the other hand, like I also got information that, you know, it's going according to plan. And that's what Putin said, like at his last, at the last meeting that they had, uh, was it yesterday or the day before? Um, and it seems like they have captured a lot of areas around the cities and, and all that. And, and my logic says also that Russia is one of the biggest like military, uh, like they control, like they have a lot of military power uh, in the world. And I don't think that Putin is going to be like, okay, now I lost. I'm just leaving Ukraine and I will do nothing about it. Either he's going to send more military or he's going to nuke that's that's what i like i don't see an outcome where he's going to be like okay tail between my legs i'm going back to russia um yeah but probably the same thing that happened to georgia i think that's what's gonna happen it's not gonna be nuke it's not gonna be he fucked up georgia he left and georgia got fucked so he fucked up ukraine already he can leave at any time too and i don't think it's gonna be that bad at the end I've heard one thing that could be like consoling, which is like Russia is not very rich. So like I read somewhere Putin can only keep up this war for two weeks before it's going to be seriously bad for Russia. Not that it isn't already, but before he can't really literally pay his soldiers. So maybe that has something to say. Well, yeah, I mean, to so first to Andreas's point, like, yeah, I mean, he can, in his mind, he can, he can already say, to the Russian public that he won and he dismantled the, the thing and they're all going to believe him anyways. You know, what, what we're seeing is radically different than the world he's living in and what, you know, he's got, according to him, 74% of the population back the war, right? That could be 7% because everything's so fucked there, but it could be 74% because of the propaganda, right? So on the world stage, we all hate him. We think he's, you know, Hitler you know, mini Hitler, um, and, and all that. And most of the, you know, Western world won't do business with Russia anymore, but what, but what these military experts were saying was he'll just turn Russia into a military state. Like, you know, their economy will continue to kind of function because 
they'll just create energy and military equipment and that will kind of run their economy and you know nothing really changes so much for putin it just comes down to whether or not russians want to live under a north korean style regime and how long they're willing to do that right um and and putin's plan was he said i I would rather wreck ukraine than have ukraine be nato and he's done that he's wrecked ukraine just like you know what fernando said how he wrecked georgia right like Kind of like if, if you want, you're not going to have Ukraine, no one's going to have Ukraine. It's going to be wrecked. But Ukraine will rebuild. And Ukraine, you know, who knows? But he could at any time, if he's still in power, he could nuke Ukraine or he could go back in and try to wreck it or, or who knows what. Obviously, I think they'll be way more prepared if, if they do manage to, you know, keep the Zelensky regime in power and they do manage to get the Russians to withdraw. Um, you know, I think Ukraine will will rise from this as one of the strongest countries we've we've seen in a long time i don't know how they wouldn't right Zelensky's um, going to be a new dictator with all the prestige and power he's going to have from this i think he's he's too smart to do that but uh going to be like supreme leader 20 years from now well you know what he did which is interesting um you know when, when he was this is kind of the coolest thing i've heard about him when he was elected um a lot of the a lot of the people like wanted to hang his, his photo in their office. And he was like, don't hang my photo, hang your kid's photo. Right. Like, like this isn't about me. You guys shouldn't look up to me. This is about the country. And that's kind of the difference between a great leader. You know, Putin only cares about Putin and and his his bank account. Right. Um, Whereas a good leader actually gives a shit about the future of his country. And it's obvious that Putin just does not give a fuck about that. All he cares about is his legacy and how he's, you know, the, the, the guy who put the Soviet Union back together, even though no one wants the Soviet Union. Soviet Union is a massive fucking failure on every level. Um, and, uh, you know, he's, he's a sociopath. But how crazy of a sociopath, uh, we don't know. But I do know that you know, from, from the, you know, I I don't really have an opinion on this, but there's a lot of people who say that the best way to oppose them would just be to like stand up and say, okay, nuke us if you're going to nuke us. And everyone thinks he's bluffing. Um, And the only way to stand up to a bully is to punch him straight in the face. Everyone knows that, but uh, you know, these countries are too big of pussies to do it. Um, And hope luckily like, or up until now, Ukraine has been doing the job for him. So I just hope Ukraine is able to, to continue to do that. Because I do think if Putin gets in there and, you know, it, it'll be much, much worse. Civilian casualties will be much worse. I'm sure, you know, there, there's been lots of news up that hasn't made it to like the bigger public. I don't know why, but I'm seeing it. I mean, maybe it's well, I doubt it's fake news, but, you know, shit about like girls being raped and killed by the soldiers and just horrible shit like that. Um, that hasn't like, I haven't seen that stuff. They, they, they said like 17 girls were raped and 12 of them were killed down in uh, uh, Nikolaev recently. And then it happened also up on in like Buka, one of the other border cities. So, you know, the more you see, the Russians taking cities, obviously the more horrible shit like that happens. So 
Well, that was their that was their mo in World War II when they were going when they finally uh, broke into Germany and everything. Like, granted, it was kind of uh, uh, payback because the Germans, when they invaded, they were raping and pillaging and and killing citizens and stuff. But yeah, there was I mean, probably tens, maybe even hundreds of thousands of people that that got raped and and brutalized in World War II, just regular citizens. So it's not like it's Soldiers the first gonna rape. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, to wrap it up, like, what I know you're not like geopolitical expert here, but in your mind, you're probably one of the more knowledgeable ones here. Like, what do you think the probability is that in a year or two, like, Ukraine would be like, we could move back or something? That's a really good question. Um, I mean, I think we're going to know in the next three days, um, I I think the next three days are very crucial for Putin. If he's going to just unload all of his firepower or not on Kiev and Odessa, because virtually those cities, which are the two biggest cities, um, have sustained, you know, very few um, there's definitely been some rocket attacks and whatnot but i mean kharkiv's been just absolutely fucking pummeled right um and just bombed into oblivion um and they don't even have that city right like ukraine holds that city and it doesn't look like the russians are going to get in but if they start really bombing (laughs) kiev and you know start taking out there's so much construction in kiev like you know, high rises going up, very expensive real estate. Odessa, same thing. Uh, the, this Kador group, um, which was the the office space that I purchased in in Kiev, there's like forty high rises. Where I live, huh? And, and where I lived in Kiev, Kador. Kador, exactly. You're, yeah, you were in the building. I owned a, I own an office in that building. Um, there's like forty to fifty high-rise buildings like all 30 floor plus in odessa just the kador group like and there's other like the amount of construction and money that's gone into odessa and kiev recently has been like very sizable um so you know putin could really fuck things up by just rocketing the shit out of those cities i don't know if he's got the firepower left to do it i'd be surprised if he didn't um so i'm just you know obviously really really hoping that doesn't happen um and if, and if he isn't, if he doesn't do that and he, and he can't keep his troops going in there, then, you know, there is a decent chance that, that we could go back to Ukraine in a few months. Um, I mean, really hard to say. And, and if Putin's still in power, it would still be dangerous to go back, I think, because, you know, who knows what he's capable of at any time. Right. I, I wouldn't feel safe oh. living in Kiev with Putin <laughs> in Moscow. Really? <laughs> No, I don't think so. I mean, I it's really hard to say because who the fuck knows what's going to happen with this. I mean, it, it's you think so he can pull back? Ukraine comes back in, and then he just nukes Kiev. Is that what you're saying? I wouldn't rule it out. I mean, who the fuck knows? Like, I don't think anyone's going to nuke anything. That's kind of extreme. Like you've never yeah, seen I don't think that. So either. Really used I don't think so either. Except Japan. Right. Especially because it's too close. No? The bombs that they have, if they nuke Kiev, they, they hurt themselves too. No? 
it's too close to the border. It's more like if they start using that option, every other nation will have an itchy trigger finger with their nukes. So it's essentially yeah. a way to end the world. It's not right. supposed to use the nuclear weapons unless Putin <clears throat> is insane. In that case, well, peace jets. Right. Where are you guys going to go like uh, now since you can't obviously return to Kiev? Uh, good question. We're thinking about potentially Portugal, maybe Greece. Um, heard good things about. Uh, I mean, I've been I've been to Belgrade. I really like Belgrade. That's a good option. As far as girls go, uh, Belgrade's my second favorite place after Kiev, uh, or after I mean after Ukraine. I, I'd put Kharkiv and Odessa above Belgrade, and even maybe Lviv. Um, but obviously outside of Ukraine, I think Belgrade um, is best city for day game, best city for girls, parties, all that stuff. But not Portugal, I guess. I've heard really good things about Portugal too recently. Um, and I was talking to some guy that said they have like 55% women. Yeah, the problem with Portugal, I was there many times. No, I even have this kind of girl that I I hooked up the last time, which is kind of like uh, knows everybody there. Problem of Lisbon is an amazing place to live, but it's uh, like a village. So if you start day gaming, I did this. So like in two, three days, uh, it's just like you bump into the same women in the street all the time, you know? <laughs> so uh, it's too annoying. small. Uh, it's just too small for like... Uh, getting a really a real flux you know if you get students coming and going mad like we used to go in Kiev I think then you need Belgrade you need Bucharest you need something bigger or even Athens Athens is not bad Athens is good I never tried but I know this guy who was also in the pickup scene like a coach and he was spending all the winter in Athens and he was having a lot of action in Athens doing even like infield in Athens and everything Interesting. I spent quite a bit of time in Athens. Um, haven't day game there, but partied there quite a bit, and the decent nightlife scene there. I mean, any city, like any capital metropolitan city, has enough girls to be good enough, right? Like Istanbul, at first we thought was really great, um, and then now it seems like you know it's still still okay. Because just because there are so many people here, like the there's going to be a lot of beautiful women just because <laughs> there's a lot of people, right? Um, so any any big city has enough where you could, you know, have a, a cool lifestyle with women, have a harem, um, you know, or eventually use that harem to find like a really awesome girl. That's possible in here, Athens, uh, Bucharest, um, definitely Budapest. Um, it's just not like, I mean, I, I think, you know, Kiev is like paradise lost. Someone was saying, I mean, it was just so fucking good, like unbelievable. <laughs> you know, like I lived in New York city before, before Kiev and LA and Miami, San Francisco, all the best places in the U S and they don't even fucking come close to the quality and quantity, you know, that was in Ukraine. I'm glad um, I lived there for a month at least. Yeah. All this. 
Yeah. If everybody's like, did you cause the war? Did you cause it? <laughs> God damn it, Andreas. <laughs> Or it might have been you, Nick. You haven't lived there for much longer than me. Yeah. I blame Nick. <laughs> yeah, fuck you, Nick. That's, that's what I tell people that ask me if I started the war. I say, no, it's this guy, Nick. Yeah, well, something had to be done. <clears throat> yeah, it's, it sucks the girls, no, because I many of them are stuck there. I'm talking to four of them. Uh, one managed to get to Germany now. Uh, but then it's a really fucked up situation. Like, I cannot have any of them coming to my apartment because, like, I kind of have a Russian girlfriend. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's really, really shitty. So I hooked, uh, I hooked this girl in Germany up with a couple of friends who live there in Berlin. And they are pretty powerful people in Germany. So this is a German guy married to a Russian woman. And they're kind of organizing the refugee efforts in Berlin. But it was, it was it's really difficult. No? Like, uh, I don't know. It's fucked up. I mean, I, I'd say the best place hands down to go now is somewhere in Poland. Because Polish chicks are hot. Polish chicks are similar to Ukrainian chicks in their attitude. And you got 1.5 million refugees coming. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I kind of I, I have tickets to go to Gdansk. I, I knew you were going to angle for the Ukrainian women in Poland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Gdansk is is a nice place. Um, <laughs> I spent a lot of time. There's two other cities that I love in Poland. Uh, outside of you know, Warsaw's not bad, but Wrocław. Um, is cool it's like the the Kharkiv of poland it's all the big college city it's it's spelled roclaw i'll put it in the chat oh yeah yeah, yeah. super famous uh, place and it's a uh, it's called uh, it, exactly yeah. when i first heard it I, i was there with uh with jesse and we were calling it rough rough we're from Wrocław. where rough rough Yeah, fucking rogue claw, rough, rough. That's that's where it is, uh, and <laughs> and then um, um, what what's the, the the other city is is also really awesome. Um, the other big one, not Warsaw, but uh, I'm blanking on the name. Krakow. Krakow, yeah. My cousin used to live in Krakow. Um, yeah, it's a cool place. I mean, yeah. it's like, wasn't it the cheapest? Cheapest uh, European city, I think, a few years ago at least. It's super really? dirty cheap, like yeah, it's very cheap. cheap. It was yeah, it was same same as like you know Ukrainian, like not Kiev prices. Kiev has gotten much more expensive over the past few years, um, yeah. but you know if 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 you go out of Kiev into Kharkov or anywhere else, really, Odessa's also getting expensive, but anywhere else is relatively cheap. But yeah. Um, Poland is cheap. Poland is nice. Girls are great. Uh, so, yeah. I think Krakow is getting expensive to... as well because uh, it's becoming hard in Denmark. Like they advertise for Krakow, where like 10 years ago you'd think, "Where's that shit hole, Poland? Fuck that!" But today it's like kind of a hard destination. If I yeah, could it's a beautiful go... city too. Yeah, yeah I don't know good things I... about it. If I had the ability to to easily move anywhere I wanted to in Europe, I think Krakow would. It, given Ukraine isn't an option, I think Krakow would be 
you know, if first option, maybe definitely in the top three. Can you go to the to a EU country, Robbie, with uh, with Maria and everything, or is it a problem? But yeah, that's the that's the problem now because we were waiting for her fiance visa to the U.S., um, which was being processed through the embassy in Kiev, and now that's not going to happen. Um, so my immigration attorney said. He's like, I know Portugal is the easiest um, place to get it. And he like knows people in the office and he can expedite it. And especially given the situation and blah, blah, blah. But it's still uh, unknown. And I, I don't want to drive 45 hours to fucking Portugal, potentially for nothing. <laughs> um, A place and... to get what though? Portugal citizenship or, or EU citizenship? No, we'd get her. We, we'd be able to get her, her visa. So then we could get married in the U.S. And that would at least give her the option of coming to the U.S. Because okay. regardless of, you know, my, my plan was always to be in <clears throat> Kiev the majority of the time. And, you know, I never spend the winters in Kiev because it's just fucking cold and it sucks when, when you have a, a girl. Like, if you're single and in Are Kiev... Are you going to winter, open? Fine. But, um, you know, so my our plan was to be in Turkey this winter. It was to be in Mexico last winter and moving forward it'll be to be in the u.s in the winter but uh you know if we can't go back to ukraine maybe it would be just you know be in the u.s or be in portugal or somewhere else that we could go in the eu but you know it's very difficult like the, the the easiest place for an american to get eu citizenship is portugal um and uh, maria has refugee status everywhere in the eu she can stay in the eu for three years um due to the refugee status now but i can't i can stay for 90 days so kind of a shitty situation for us and for you nick because <laughs> you're kind of i don't know <laughs> you know you're in the same boat yeah um yeah so i mean there's other the, the other at least cool thing is balkan countries aren't part of the EU, right? So we could hang out in Serbia for three months and then we can go to Montenegro for three months and then we could go to, uh, you know, Turkey and then Greece. And you just keep fucking doing that sort of loop. But again, also... Not I'm not really. sure I want to come back to Turkey, though. You, I think it's, uh, uh, you feel like you've burned through Turkey that quickly? You, you I don't know. favorable to it. It's a... Uh, It seems harder here, but I, I guess it's just because I was talking with Stuntman yesterday and he kind of was echoing some of the same things that, you know, I've been feeling and um, Jungle Man was saying as well about like high flake rate. Well, Jungle Man was saying like they all just mysteriously flake on him. And I was thinking he was kind of crazy, but I've actually had quite a bit of that with a lot of the dates that I've tried setting up as well. Yeah, kind of sounds like Sweden, honestly. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's grass is always greener, and you know those other. Maybe there's nowhere to replace kind of Kiev. I, I think you know partly I maybe got spoiled on that. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know where the flake rate is gets insanely like high. <clears throat> hmm. I don't know where the flake rate isn't insanely high, and <clears throat> you know even. 
even when I was at the very, very top of my game, like when it came to getting leads through cold approach, the flake rate was always astronomical. And I think that's just a function of dating in any, in any city, you know, like obviously Ukraine's a little bit different because a lot of those girls are like, you know, the flake rate's lower because there's just not the competition so low. Plus they just want to go out. Um, you know, it's like Disneyland, but anywhere else, like the flake rate even uh, was super high. And I combated that by transitioning fully to social circle game and you know, doing the parties and, and like never taking girls on dates. Like I, I, for the last, like, you know, ever since I moved out of the U S and start set up the, the sort of like social circle lifestyle, even in the U S I just stopped going on dates. I refused to ask a girl on a date of like, you can come to my parties, you can hang out uh, with a bunch of other girls that are going to you know, be at my parties. Obviously I wouldn't say that, but that's how I would eliminate flakes, but there's no way to, you know, if you're doing cold approach or you're meeting girls through online dating, night game, day game, whatever, it's just like, they're going to flake. The hot ones are going to flake like well over 50% of the time, no matter what. It's just, they just have too many fucking options and too many guys that they already know. And at the last minute, like, even if they really want to go out with you, they get a text from like, you know, a girlfriend saying, Hey, I got tickets to this fucking event or this guy's taking me on the private yacht, you know, come with me. Oh no, I got this date with, with Nick. He's really cute. You know, oh, how'd you meet him? Oh, he came up to me on the sidewalk. Come on. Are you going to go out with a guy who came up to you on the sidewalk? Let's, let's go on this yacht. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right. I mean, it's like that sort of shit. Um, and there's just a really high probability of that happening. So just got to build that into the funnel. Just got to expect it. Cool, guys. Well, I hope that was informative and uh, you learned a little bit about the situation. And we'll be uh, updating people every week on the podcast. So make sure you tune in soon. Thanks for listening. If you want more, go to innerconfidence.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for the latest episodes.